Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be able to be together this morning, and I want to say thank you to the worship team for leading us so well. That was wonderful. If whether you're joining us in person this morning or you're joining us online at home from the cottage, from wherever you happen to be, we are glad to be able to be here. And uh, yeah, I trust that God is speaking to you this morning as he has been speaking to me. Have you ever had one of those days when everything seems to go wrong? I got a picture here. Oh, we have it not yet. Maybe we, one of those days where everything seems to go wrong. Yeah, here we go. Here's a poor egg delivery man who uh, that skid did not behave itself and went fall. And you can't see it, but he's calling somebody to figure out what are you supposed to do when this happens. <laughs> and my guess is the person on the other side of the phone's like, I don't know. I <laughs> clean it up. Um, you ever had one of those days where it feels like everything goes wrong? You had one of those. Maybe your day starts with uh, your bad day starts with you waking up late. And then as in your rush, you burn your toast and you don't have a chance to make more. And then as you're rushing out the door, that's when you find out that there is a flat tire on your car. Or the person before you forgot to put gas in the car. That happens too, right? And then uh, when you finally get to work or wherever you're going, there's that big meeting that you've been working towards all week. And that meeting goes sideways. It doesn't go the way that you were thinking it was going to. And then to top it off, you get a call in the middle of the day because your kid, wouldn't you know it, is thrown up at school. It's just one of those days where it feels like everything that could go wrong does go wrong. And while a day like that is, is no fun, we can sometimes look back at moments like these, days like this, and, and laugh because there's something comedic about everything going wrong all at once, isn't there? Something where you look back and you're like, well, that, that'll never happen again. What else are we supposed to do? We're supposed to laugh, right? <laughs> well, there's other times, though... <laughs> Uh, there's other times, though, for, for others of us, though, what I just described sort of just feels like not a bad day, but it kind of feels like our lives, or it feels like the season of life that we're going through, because, you know, we are going through some stuff, whether it be our own health, or the health journey of a loved one, or maybe it has to do with our mental or emotional health right now, or maybe we're, we're dealing with the lasting impact of our past, or maybe we're looking to the future, and we're finding ourselves feeling very uncertain. You know, sometimes it just life has a, feel, has a habit of, of making us feel like things are just piling on. It's one thing after another after another. And in the middle of all that stuff, we might find ourselves wondering, how on earth am I supposed to have faith? How on earth am I supposed to have hope when everything seems to be going wrong? And in many ways, this is the question that is behind the letter of 1 Peter that we've been looking at over the past few months. You know, the Christians that Peter has been writing to have been going through some really, really hard things. You know, they have people in their lives who are actively trying to make their lives harder, who are actively trying to cause them harm because they are following Jesus. And I, 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 my guess is that some of them have found themselves looking, at the, at the, looking around at their lives and the situation of the other people they know who are following Jesus and thinking, you know what, all the signs are pointing to the fact that maybe this isn't worth it. Maybe faith is too hard. And understanding this, the purpose of this letter that Peter's been writing has been to encourage these folks to keep going, to keep leaning into faith when faith is hard, when faith doesn't come easy. And so this brings us to a passage that I skipped a couple weeks ago. You know, a couple weeks, the week before Christina spoke, I had this passage that we're going to look at, and, and I was going to include it in the teaching time that I was leading, and I got to it, and I thought, 
there's a lot here, and I'm out of time. We're going to skip it. And so we're circling back to that this week because, um, you know, it's a loose end. Now, in a sermon, any sermon series, we never get to everything that's in a book of the Bible. And we, we've done about as much as we can. But this seemed like a loose end that if I just skipped it, some of you who may have chosen to read along with me would have been like, what did you skip there? Because I really want us to talk about that. So that's where we're going to get into this morning. But as we do, I think it's really, really important that we keep in mind why, who Peter is speaking to and, and, and why he's speaking to them. That Peter is speaking to these Christians who are experiencing real hardship because of their faith, and he wants them to know. He wants them to know that they can have hope because Jesus has defeated the powers that are committed to their hardship. And that right now, that is our big idea this morning. That Jesus' victory means that we can have hope even while we are experiencing hardship. And it all starts with something that we can experience uh, personally. And this is our first point this morning, that Jesus' death and resurrection means that we can be connect, connected to God. And so we're going to go back to 1 Peter chapter 3. And uh, this morning I'm going to read a verse at a time and talk about it, or I'll read a verse or a section of verses, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, but we're going to start at verse 18. 1 Peter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And we'll pick up from that in just a moment. You know, here we have Peter talking about how, how Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection changes things for people like us. His suffering, death, and resurrection changes things for people like us. You know, Scripture teaches us that there's this thing called sin that is a part of our lives that likes to call the shots in our lives. Now, often when we think about sin, we tend to think about things that we do or we don't do, but sin is a lot more than just our actions. You know, sin is a motivation to have our lives be all about us. It's about when we, when we allow our appetites to, to have power over the decisions that we make or, or have power over how we choose to treat people or even have power over the thoughts that we may not speak or act on, but that is, that is sin. See, God made us to be at our best. When his love and his hopes and his dreams are what inspire us and what moves us. But sin is when we choose to move in a different direction. And the result of sin is that we don't know God like we could. In fact, it's sort of like we end up building this, this wall, this brick wall, brick by brick. And the result is that we, we end up feeling isolated and being alienated from God and from others. But Peter, in, in, in this verse here, it wants his audience, to, and that includes us, to see that Jesus did all the work to climb over that wall, so to speak, to come find us from where we may be hiding, to grab us by the hand and invite us out of our places of hiding and, to, and move us towards God and in the process, demolish this wall. And all of that comes about through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And the result is that we can go with confidence to God. And Peter says we have this connection to God as a result. You know, sometimes when we are going through hard things, hard times, it's easy to feel like we are all alone. Like there's nobody else there with us, like that we're just by ourselves. But throughout this letter, Peter has been inviting his readers to see that that's just not true. That Jesus in his love has done all the work to, to, to come rescue us from sin and will one day rescue us from this hardship that we might be experiencing. And in the meantime, we have this connection with God 
through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being God with us in the here and now to help us deal with life and whatever life is bringing our way, that we are not alone, that we have this connection with God that will carry us through. Now, one of the things that was assumed in the ancient world was that there were these spiritual powers, both good and evil, that were at work in the world. This is something that Jesus affirms in his teachings. It's something that we find mentioned by the, uh, by the New Testament authors of Scripture. We touched on this very briefly last week in our teaching time. And with this in mind, it's natural that, that Peter comes to see the persecution that these early Christians are facing as not just being a difference of opinion between two people who are seeing the world differently, but that these, this persecution is being motivated in part by the presence of sinister spiritual forces. Now, what's interesting, I think, is that I think we're seeing in our society today an openness to spirituality. You know, while folks might not be particularly interested in in religion, they might not be particularly religious, they are open to the idea that there's more to life than than, than what's right in front of us, what we can see, and that they are open to the fact that there are forces that might have an influence on our lives. I mean, I was watching a TV show recently where the characters were talking about how they thought the universe was trying to tell them something. You know, they were trying to have a baby and all the signs, the universe was trying to tell them that you weren't going to have a baby. It wasn't the right time yet. And they were trying to make sense of the spiritual reality. Now, as followers of Jesus, we ought to see this openness to spiritual things as something that we actually have in common with our friends and our family and our coworkers because the Christian story very much does include the belief that there's a spiritual, spiritual reality that we often can't see. Now, sometimes people, and I'm thinking particularly about Christians here, start to, to see everything that happens to them as being some sort of spiritual battle. And so I'm going to repeat what, something that I said last week, that we need to keep in mind that, that while there are spiritual forces that may inspire some awful things, that these spiritual forces are not all-powerful, they are not omnipresent, and God gives people like you and me free will to choose our own actions and our own paths. And not only that, but as followers of Jesus, we would be wise to remember what John says in in 1 John chapter 4 when he writes that the one who is in you, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit, that being God with us, the one that is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. He's talking about Satan. He's talking about those sinister spiritual forces. The one that is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. And so I think that as followers of Jesus, is what we are to live with is this knowledge that there is a spiritual reality that we can't always see, but we don't have to be afraid of. And we don't have to act with superstition towards because Jesus is a part of our story. Well, in our passage today, Peter is pulling back the curtain, so to speak, to address the fact that these spiritual forces that are sometimes called principalities and powers and authorities, that these spiritual forces who are, who are inspiring and influencing the actions against those Jesus followers, well, Peter is trying to tell these Jesus followers that they don't have the final say. They don't get the final word. And so our second point this morning is that Jesus won a victory over the forces that influence the hardships that we might face. And so let's keep reading here. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God uh, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. We'll just stay there for a moment. So 
We're getting to the point here where this is why I skipped this about four weeks ago, okay? Because this is a tricky, this is a tricky passage, and one of the uh, commentaries that I read this week, one of the biblical scholars that I read this week, um, I wish I'd copied it and showed you, but he basically said, don't tell everybody in your congregation everything I'm about ready to write, because it's just going to confuse everybody. And I was like, really? And then I read what he wrote, and I was like, yeah, yeah. It's a, it, it's a wad in there. And the reality is this is one of those passages in Scripture where there is multiple ways of reading and interpreting what has been, what, what has been written here, and they all have merit. And so what I'm going to share with you today is how I'm understanding this today. Okay, did you hear me say that? Today. Because how I'm understanding this today is not necessarily how I would have understood this if I preached this last year, and might not be how I understand the details of it if I preach it next year, okay? This is one of those things where we have to, where we read scripture in partnership with the Holy Spirit, and we also do so with humility, recognizing that there's different ways that people sit down and read the same piece of scripture, and with insight, find different details, and find meaning in different details, But in summary, what Peter is saying in these verses that I just read is that Jesus went to the place where where the evil supernatural powers are, and he told them that they have been defeated and that God was going to hold them accountable for the harm that they have caused. That Jesus has gone to the place where these evil supernatural powers are and told them that they've been defeated and that God is going to hold them accountable for the influence and harm that they've caused. Now, the questions that get asked about this passage tend to be like, you know, when did this take place? Where did Jesus go? And then what did Jesus do when he got there? Well, here's a couple comments I'm going to make before we get to what all this means, which is really the point, okay? I don't want us to get lost in the details and forget what Peter's trying to tell his folks here. You know, some folks read this passage and say that what Peter is describing Jesus doing happens between the events of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. That Jesus descends to a place called Hades. It's not the same as hell. Jesus descends to a place called Hades. Um, and, uh, and Hades is considered to be the temporary home of the dead. And the idea, this idea is actually an idea that is supported by the, by the Apostles' Creed and is supported by other pieces of Scripture. Um, But as I read this passage this week, it seemed to me that this stop, I think, probably happened after the resurrection. Because if you read the passage over again, uh, Peter writes, after he was made alive, after he was, was brought to life. And so it seems to me that the stop happened after the resurrection, which would suggest that instead of Jesus descending to this place called Hades, that Jesus made a stop on his way to ascending to sit at the right hand with the Father. Again, that's how I'm reading this this week. Now, we don't tend to think about heaven, if we think about heaven at all, as having any sort of presence of evil in it. We tend to think about heaven and, and, and hell, perhaps, in binary terms, with good being up and bad being down, right? But this wasn't the case in the Jewish world. In fact, some Jewish writings actually locate a section of what we might think about as terms of heaven as being the place where evil supernatural powers are kept until the final judgment. And this idea would be consistent with what we read uh, in the book of Revelation when Satan himself appears to be in heaven until he's kicked out. Uh, If you're reading through the book of Job, Satan and and God seem to be in the same space having a conversation with each other. Um, And so this is is an idea that is is a part of this passage, perhaps. So we could read this passage as saying that Jesus made a stop uh, to, to preach to these spirits 
on his way to sit to his final place of sitting at the right hand of, uh, beside the Heavenly Father. Now, in the first century, and this, this forms some nice background to what Peter's written here in this verse and a half that we just read, there is a book that was popular called First Enoch that traces the world's problems back to the wicked spiritual beings mentioned in the story of Noah. These are the beings that rebelled against God, and they influenced other people to rebel against God as well. Well, First Enoch is a story that celebrates the victory that God has and that God will have over these beings. And Peter is alluding to this popular story in his mention of Noah uh, to describe what Jesus has accomplished and what Jesus will accomplish and, and what Jesus said when he went to these powers. That he tells them that Jesus is going to tell them that their reign of chaos and their reign of terror is over and that their power has been broken. So that is what you know, Peter is describing Jesus going to go and do. Now that's just a summary of some of the details. How many of you are sufficiently confused right now. <laughs> wow, okay, the rest of you are a lot, no. Uh, I'm glad, it was a lot clearer than I thought it would be. That's good news, that's good news. You know, um, the thing about a passage like this is there's a lot of details and there's a lot of things that you could do to try to make sense and to work out the details and you could probably have a flow chart as he's going here and there and what did he say and do and who is it and where. Um, and we could spend a lot of time zooming in on the details if we wanted to. But a lot of us are familiar with this idiom, aren't we? The idiom that we, uh, that we can miss the forest for the trees because of all the details, right? That sometimes we can become so obsessed over the details that we miss out on the something bigger that is happening. Now, this isn't to say that the details don't matter. In fact, there's a lot of cool things about the details of this passage that I just skipped over that I thought, hey, that was neat. I'm glad I learned that this week. But... If we spend too much time kind of obsessing over the details, we could easily miss out on what Peter really wants his readers to see. Remember, the, pe the people Peter is writing to, they are facing persecution and hardship by, uh, from their own local authorities and from the spiritual forces that are inspiring these local authorities to act. You know, what Peter wants them to know is not the exact details about when did Jesus go and to where and to what. What Peter really wants them to know is that these spiritual forces that are causing them trouble don't get the final say. In fact, Jesus has put them on notice. That's what Peter wants to say. Jesus, the one that you are connected to because of what he did on the cross, the one that you are connected to, he has gone to the places that have, to the beings that are causing your hardship and he has put them on notice. And because of that, you can be people of faith and hope despite the current hardships that you face. You are not losing. Jesus has won. And so when we face hardships because maybe we've chosen the way of Jesus or when we are dealing with the struggles that come with life, we too can hold on to that same truth. That Jesus has won the victory over the powers of sin in our lives over the, all the things that sin has infected and has made wrong in our lives, over the spiritual forces that are not interested in our well-being, none of those things have the final say, and Jesus has put them on notice. Now, this doesn't make faith easy, but it maybe helps make faith possible because in the meantime, we have this connection to God Remember, that's what he talked about in verse 18. We have this connection to God who will help us as we wait. 
to help us see beyond the immediacy of our circumstances to the time when Jesus' victory will, will, hold, will be full and when Jesus will hold accountable those people and those powers that are responsible for hardships. This, uh, this week for our family is a week of countdown because next Sunday uh, after the church service, and I won't rush out of here, I promise, but at some point Sunday afternoon, we're getting in our, in our, in our vehicle and we're pulling our trailer to a, a campground and we're going camping for a week. And we're, we're looking forward to that a little bit. It's going to be fun. But one of the things that's going to happen actually Sunday afternoon before we leave is Michelle and I are going to go into our bedroom and we're going to take our wedding rings off and we're going to put them in a safe place because we do this all the time when we go camping because we've heard some of your stories about what happens to wedding rings at the bottom of lakes. Yes, I know. I see that hand. Yes. And we don't want that story to become our story. And so we have a little uh, routine of taking off our wedding rings, putting it in a safe place. And then at the end of the vacation, we come back and we put them back on again. Now, the thing about taking off our wedding bands is while we have them off, it doesn't mean that we're suddenly not married. It, it does not mean that it's a, it's a good thing because I often forget my wedding band and then realize, oh, I've gone all day without my wedding ring on. And it doesn't mean that, you know, we're suddenly not married, nor does it mean that we're any less connected to, committed to one another uh, than the times when we wear them. You know, technically, we don't need these rings at all. But there is something about the symbolism of them that transcends the metal that they're made of, right? You know, they represent a commitment. It represents love. It represents faithfulness. It represents the relationship that has grown over the years that we have been together. You know, symbols matter, don't they? They represent moments and they represent people in ways that are powerful. And I think maybe especially in, in times that are hard, they matter. You know, as Peter writes to these folks who are going through hardship, he reminds them of a powerful symbol that should, it should remind them that, that Jesus is with them and that Jesus wins. And this is our, four, our third and our final point this morning, that, that baptism is a symbol that embodies our connection to Jesus and his victory. And so let's keep reading and we'll read to the end of the chapter here. Actually, I'm going to read just starting from the beginning of verse 20. Don't worry at the back. We'll just follow along when I get there. Um, After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through the water. And it was this water that symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. You know, in this passage, uh, Peter has been referring to the story of Noah's Ark that we might be familiar, uh, familiar of uh, from Genesis chapter 6. Well, in Peter's day, it, this there was a widespread belief that it was in ancient Turkey, and remember, the people Peter are writing to are in ancient Turkey. There was a widespread belief that it was, it was in ancient Turkey that Noah and the ark came to rest on a mountain. It was a story that was, that was known and what people were familiar with. Now, as an aside, it's important to know that other cultures and other religions besides Judaism, they have a flood story. And so there's some understanding that what we read in Genesis chapter 6 is the Jewish interpretation of the significant event. 
And so what Peter is doing is he's appealing to, to a story that is well known. A story that involves people being rescued through water. And what Peter is doing is he's using this as a segue. He's using this to get people to think about baptism as representing how Jesus has rescued them. How Jesus has rescued these followers of Jesus. See, for Peter, baptism is, is a symbol of how Jesus has rescued us from sin. You know, Paul in, in Romans talks about how it symbolizes Jesus' death and his resurrection. And not only that, but when we are baptized, we are joining with Jesus. It is, it is embodying our commitment to God and to the rescuing work of Jesus. We are joining Jesus in his death and his resurrection. And even more so, Peter really, again, wants his readers to see that this, this baptism reminds us how connected we are to Jesus and how Jesus' victory can be our victory. There's a connection here. Now, as a, as a quick aside, uh, being baptized, just like you know, me wearing my ring or not, doesn't make me any more or less married. It's a symbol of my, my marriage, our commitment to each other. You know, being baptized doesn't make somebody a Christian. But it is a part, a key part, of how we express our commitment to Jesus. It's a moment in time, a particular moment in time, when we physically express our need for Jesus. And we, we do, in doing so, we identify with his death and his resurrection as we are baptized. And in doing so, we are expressing our commitment to him. And you know what? There's something powerful and there's something transcendent that happens in our baptism that can help make our faith in Jesus uh, a, a little bit more real. And reminds us as a physical reminder of our connection to Jesus and what Jesus has accomplished. And so let me say that if baptism is something that you've been interested in, maybe you've just been waiting for somebody to say, you know, to invite you to be baptized, consider this your invitation. Send me an email, talk to me after the service, go to the Welcome Center, there's little cards you can fill out and just check the box that says baptism. We'd love to chat with you about this. We are, I'm in the process of talking with two people right now about being baptized at some point, and we'd love to include more people in that conversation. And so if you'd like to find out more about it, and let me just say, if you ask me about baptism, it doesn't mean that we're going to immediately dunk you on the spot, okay? We'll, we'll give you some warning. No, we'll talk you through it. It'll be fine, okay? Try not to make it too traumatic if we can help it. <laughs> but if it's something that you're interested in, we would love to chat with you about that. You know, this letter that Peter, Peter has written here is to people who, whose lives are, are hard. And it's hard specifically because there are people in their lives who are intent on making their lives miserable. And some of us get that because it kind of feels like our lives. And from our, our perspective, we don't always get why people do the things that they do to us. We've tried to do what is right. We've tried to meet people the halfway. We've tried and we've tried. And still things, well, they still just kind of suck. You know, there are people in our lives who just seem to be motivated to get us and to cause us harm. And in all of this, we might find ourselves wondering, God, why haven't you stepped in and done something right now? You know, unfortunately, Peter doesn't answer this question for us. and He doesn't answer that, that right now question for his readers. But what Peter does do is he pulls the curtain back, so to speak, and he tells us about how Jesus has not forgotten his people. That Jesus has, has, has put the forces that make, hard life, uh, make life hard on, on notice. And that through his suffering, his death, and his resurrection, that, that their influence has been limited, and that he's going to hold them accountable for, and, and, to, and will vindicate his people. 
that Jesus' victory is assured. And in the meantime, we are invited to, to, to respond as, as Peter is inviting his people to, to respond with faith even when faith is hard, to respond with hope even when hope is hard, knowing that we are not alone but that we have been equipped with the Holy Spirit to be there in those hard moments, to help make faith possible even if it's just a sliver when faith is hard, to give us little glimpses when hope is hard. In the meantime, we are invited to draw close to God and his faithfulness. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. And Lord, we, we thank you for how you uh, have spoken to us this morning. You know, as we have connected with one another and we've, we've appreciated the presence of one another this morning, we realize that we are not alone, that there are other folks who are with us in this journey of faith and life. And Lord, for that, we give you thanks. Lord, we are grateful for the fact that despite the fact that things sometimes feel out of control and life feels like it's too much, that that's not the case for you. That, Lord, you have won the victory. Lord, that you are, are moving towards your final plan where you make everything right and wipe away every tear, where there is no more pain or sorrow or sickness. Lord, sometimes it's hard to have faith and to look that far ahead, but this morning we ask that you would build in us of faith. Lord, help us to trust you when trust is hard. Lord, we want to believe. Help us believe. Lord Jesus, as we go into the week ahead, would you just give us the ability to be people of hope and love and faithfulness? Lord, nothing that's, that's fake, but something that is real that you grow in us. Thank you for going with us into the week that's ahead. Amen.